Good morning. Welcome to Flat Springs Baptist Church. It's so good to see everyone here this morning. Uh, if you're a first-time visitor with us today, we want to say a special welcome to you. We're glad that you're here. Uh, we do have visitors' cards in the pew. If you'd like to take one and fill it out, you'll just drop it in the offering plate as it comes by, and we would appreciate you doing that for us. Uh, we would like to say a special congratulations to Ryan Wilder and Carly Witt on the birth of their little girl, Riley Michelle Wilder, who was born yesterday. Proud grandparents are Rodney and Renee Wilder, as well as, well as proud Uncle Reese. <laughs> um, the Children's Church Committee would like to bring a change to parents' attention. Uh, children who are aged three through kindergarten are welcome to attend Children's Church upstairs in the children's room following the children's sermon. Um, before we had it three through five, um, and so that could vary whether if your child was in kindergarten or not, but through kindergarten they can go to Children's Church if that's something that they would like to do. Uh, tomorrow night in the fellowship hall, Pastor Gary will be holding a Monday night conversation about biblical morality. Uh, this will begin at 6.30 in the fellowship hall. And please note that time because in the bulletin it shows two different times, but it is 6.30 for that meeting. Also, it's not too late to sign up for the disaster relief trip to Burgall, North Carolina. Uh, the dates for this trip are September 20th and 21st. If you are interested in participating in that trip, all you need to do is just sign up in the atrium on the sign-up sheet out there so that we'll know that you are interested in going on that trip. Would you go to God in prayer with me? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for allowing us to gather in this this place of worship this morning, God. God, we thank you for the many blessings that we receive each and every day. And God, what a blessing it is to be here this morning and to be able to worship you. I pray that you would help us to put all of our focus just on worshiping you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Today our first hymn is a new one for our church. Um, if you'll take out your insert, the choir is gonna sing it through uh, one time, and then I'll turn around and ask you to, to join us on this, please.
stand and join us. pray. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us here on this beautiful Sunday morning. Lord, we want to remember those on our coastline of our state who are some of them who have lost everything. We want to remember those who have suffered during this time. Remember those on our, in our prayers. Remember those members of our church who are suffering and are hurting, Lord, and just heal them. And thank you, though, for our many blessings and for sending your son to die for us. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen.
Okay, I have a question. You ready? Who's the boss at your house? My, my mommy is the boss. The mommy is the boss. My daddy's the boss. Your daddy's the boss, okay. You what? Your parents. Okay, so what does it mean to be the boss? Okay, so you have the boss of the school. Who's, who's the boss of the school? Would that be a principal? Yes. Right? And your yes. teachers? Yeah. Okay, so if you have a boss of a house, what, what does that mean? You, you said it just a minute ago, Taylor. Who did you say was the boss? My parents. Your parents. So both of your parents, contrary to what someone may have told you, are actually the boss at your house, okay? So in Ephesians chapter 6, it says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. God tells us in his word that our parents are the boss, right? They're in charge of us. That he put them here to take care of us and to give us instructions now, he also tells us to honor our parents. What does it mean to honor your parents? What do you think? Um, um, because um, I think um, it's, um, it's so good. Yeah, it's good to honor your parents, yes. Um, I think to honor the parents because um, you have to listen to you have to listen to them. That's right. That's part of honoring your parents, honoring and obeying your parents. So here's some ways that we can honor and obey our parents, okay? What about, you said listen to what they say. That's absolutely one way we can honor and obey our parents. We can do what they say even when they're not looking. Sometimes that's, that's hard to do, right? Like maybe they tell you to clean your room and then they leave your room. It might be kind of hard to clean it if they're not right there watching you. But if they tell you to do it, that's what you're supposed to do, right? What about when they ask you to do something, when should you do it? Should you just wait a little bit and then maybe do it like three or four days I, later? You can just um, 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 talk to God and then you can clean your room. Yeah, okay. You can talk to God and then clean your room. So we can do it right when they say to do it. That's really important. Yes, ma'am. I want to tell you what else you can do. Okay, what else can you do? Ask your parents for help if it's a big, giant mess. Like my, yeah. my brother always makes a big, giant a big mess, mess. In, my, mess in my room. Yeah. My toy closet and I just don't know why he does it with my toys. Yeah. So sometimes we can ask our parents for help, especially if it's a big mess. That's what Lila said. And then also, we cannot complain when our parents ask us to do something. We cannot complain about it, and we can just do it. That's part of honoring and obeying our parents, okay? So that is what God has told us to do. That's something he has commanded us to do. And so that means it's really important for us to do it. So what are we going to do this week? We're going to what? Honor and obey our parents. Yeah, because what? They're the boss. All right. My, my mommy is so weird. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we'll let you guys handle that, okay? All right. My dad is a real boss, too. Okay, we're going to say a prayer together, all right? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for these children, God. I thank you for 
all the things that they teach us, God, and for the many things that we get to teach them. God, I just pray that you would help them this week to honor and obey their parents because that is what you have commanded of us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'll be reading from Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 12. Remember the day of worship by observing it as a holy day. You have six days to do all your work. The seventh day is the day of worship dedicated to the Lord your God. You, your sons, your daughters, your male and female slaves, your cattle, and the foreigners living in your city must never do any work on that day. In six days the Lord made heaven, earth, and the sea, along with everything in them. He didn't work on the seventh day. That's why the Lord blessed the day he stopped his work and set this day apart as holy. Honor your father and mother so that you may live for a long time in the land the Lord your God is giving you. As we, well, first of all, good morning. As we look at our pastoral prayer today, I want us certainly to be remembering the folks that have been impacted by Dorian, especially in the Bahamas, where that storm at its greatest strength stayed the longest time and did tremendous damage and that those families are just in total disarray. As always, Baptist men will have a presence there. You can always give to the North Carolina Baptist men. It's our month of receiving the offering, uh, and that is money that you can either designate directly to go to disaster relief, or you can just let it go there, and it will find a great portion of that money will find its way to help those folks, both in the Bahamas and uh on our coast and wherever people have been impacted. And in that, we are trying to get a group to go to Burgal. They are still rebuilding from Florence. Uh, They need help. Uh, We've been talking for a long time about finding a time to go. Uh, We're trying to set a time to go, but I need you to sign up. If you can go, I need to get you information. I need to know what your skill set is. I need to let them know what we can do so they can have our task waiting for us when we get there. So if you're interested in going, uh, sign up today. It's out there uh, on the board in the atrium. That would be greatly appreciative. And tomorrow evening at 6.30 in our fellowship hall, we will have a conversation about biblical morality in the landscape of America, what that looks like, what we need to do, what we need to not do as God's people. Uh, It's going to be more of a conversation. I'm going to give you a great deal of scripture but it's going to be a conversation about what does that look like? How do we handle that? How are we still God's people in the midst of a world that doesn't look like it looked a few decades ago? How are we the people of God in the midst of that? Come and join me. You might can teach me, uh, and we might share together during that time. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, 
we asked if there was meteorologists who said there was no hurricane, would that mean there's no hurricane last Sunday? And Lord, in your presence, we determined that no, even if people with great learning say the wrong thing, it doesn't make it right. We're going to look at a scripture today, oh God, that you have given as you began a covenant with your people and now Paul reinterprets it in the early life of the church, and we need to examine it in 2019 to see what it says about our family dynamics. So we need you to, even now, prepare our hearts to hear what you have to say. Give us a filter that if anything Gary says, we can throw that away. But Lord, whatever you say, whatever you say, Lord, may we hear it clearly. Heavenly Father, we do pray for those who have been impacted, for those who've lost their lives, for those who are even now picking up the pieces. We ask your blessing. We know there are more storms coming. That's the world in which we live. We are grateful that there is a bomb in Gilead. Heavenly Father, would you be with those on this list that we have offered prayers of Congratulations to or prayers of their need. We lift them to your care and ask, oh God, for you to be God in their midst. Be with us now. Be with our choir as they will remind us that even in the most difficult times and in the most difficult places of your goodness, that gives us strength to do what we need to do as family, as a family of Moms and dads and children and as a family of brothers and sisters in you, oh God, here at this church. Strengthen our family. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Thank you, choir. What a tremendous message. As you're praying this week, a friend of Jimmy's, yesterday they buried a 22-year-old son of his friend who took his life. If you're here today and you're in a dark place, hear me say that suicide is a permanent solution in your life to a temporary issue. There is darkness all around us. In the midst of that, there's a formula. It's found in Ephesians chapter 6. Well, it's also found in Deuteronomy chapter 5. It's also found in Exodus chapter 20. In fact, it's one of the big ten. It's reinterpreted just a little bit. Well, no, I'd say a whole lot by Paul. When Moses got that word and it entered in the Ten Commandments, he was talking to God's people as they were about to enter a promised land, an earthly kingdom God had promised, the land of Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey. And when Paul talks about it here in Ephesus, to, to the letter to the church he's writing at Ephesus, he's talking about the eternal blessing that God has in his plan. It's the same plan. It's the same plan. But I want us to examine it today in light of what I'm calling family dynamics. Now, we don't think about this term too often, but maybe we do at tax time, and I don't want to bring up a bad subject, but let's just say, I, I, you know, this is a bad month for those of us who have to send in the self-employment tax, you know. Uh, but there's a thing there called dependence. You know about dependence on your taxes? The more you claim, the better it is, right? But think about that word, dependence. In the legal sense, it's talking mostly about your family and those folks who depend on the taxpayer's income as their main support. What does it mean for us when we speak of dependence and being dependent upon God? And what I want to suggest is that today we're going to see God's formula for family. We're going to see God's formula for family. Not every family will look just like this. I'm aware of that. But I want to tell you, this is God's formula. This is God's plan. This is what God says. This is where we will find our, our fulfillment and our joy and our, our moving forward in God's will better than any other way or any other plan. But there are many plans. I'm aware of that as well. And we'll talk a little bit about that in just a moment. But not long. Our passage is found in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read the first four verses. If you're able, I would invite you to stand as we read this portion of God's Word. Paul has just finished 
describing the husband-wife relationship as Christ to the church in Ephesians chapter 5. Now he goes into the children, the parent-child relationship, and he says these words. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with, with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. Pray with me. God, direct our thoughts toward you. For these next few minutes, in Christ's name I ask, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'd say in the last 20 years, there has come a whole new struggle to being the church. How do we deal with families that look altogether different than this prescription? Do we become rigid and kick people out of the church? Or do we com become complacent and say, it doesn't matter, anything's okay? You see the struggle? I mean, it's real, isn't it? Now, there are lots of ways of doing family. Extended family. I've lived in that world before. In fact, my grandparent, my grandfather lived with us. My mom, at one time, when I was in Winston-Salem, I had my wife, three daughters, my mother-in-law, and my mother living in my house. I asked the church every Sunday to pray for me, okay? But I, I understand extended family, and it, it worked in my world. It is, it is my understanding of, of how I thought it ought to be done. There's nuclear family. That's a husband and a wife who come together and have children. And it was 2007 when that became the minority family in the United States of America. You didn't hear what I said, did you? Let me say that again. The family that is a man and a woman who get married and have children and stay together as husband and wife and raise their family, that's called a nuclear family. And in 2007, that became the minority family group in the United States of America. What am I saying? That they were the fewest number of families like that of all the other kinds of families there were. 2007. I want to suggest today that all the advice and all the examples and all the things that you might understand that come under the auspices of family might not be good. You might be getting bad counsel. 
I'm reminded of a story from my own life, although I don't remember it. It's probably going to be hard for you to imagine this, but I was a rather large baby when I was born, okay? Ten pounds and three quarters. If I'd have been a bass, that amounted me, okay? I was a trophy. Well, that was a time when you didn't let your siblings go to the hospital, young siblings, to see the birth of their brother and sister. So they would say, I had an older sister, Nell. She was five years older than I was, and she stayed at home. But people would come to the house, and they would talk to Nell and say, oh, you're going to love your little brother. He is so big, when he comes home, he's going to be able to play with you. That's what they told a five-year-old, Okay. Can you imagine her disappointment when I got there? She said all he could do was lay and eat. And she said a couple other things, but we won't go there, okay? That's all he could do, just lay. I want to suggest to you there's some bad counsel. There's, there's some bad models. There's some bad models. And we're trying to do family in this world. And I struggle to be loving and kind and caring and, and compassionate and inclusive and, and trying to bring everybody under the tent because that's what we need to do. That's what we are called to do. By George, that's what we've got to do. And then to hold some kind of standard. To not throw the baby out with the bathwater if you will, as I talk of family. So I ask us today, whatever our family situation might be, what is our counsel going forward? Because here's the good news of what I want to say today. Wherever you are in your family relationship, whatever it might look like today, today you can make, I can make, we can make a decision that as we go forward, we're going to follow God's plan from here here forward so the first question that you might ask and, and young people and children you might really want to listen to this why should we do what God says and, and to bring that why should we obey our parents why should we honor them what, what why you ever thought about that I've got a reason why. Because God has set up a model that is the absolute best model for us. My daughter Sandy works with at-risk pregnancies. And many cases ago, there was a very young woman who was about to give birth. And they knew she had one STD. That's a sexually transmitted disease. But upon further testing, they found out she had four. That's not very far from where you and I live. I'm not talking about some ancient past or some third world country. I'm talking about our world. God has a model 
He has a plan. He has a design for a husband and a wife to live together. And in that union, to raise up children. And he begins by understanding that it is vitally important that there be an established understanding that children should be obeying their parents. Now, here's what I've got to stop and say right here. Paul is writing to Christian parents. That might be a a little point, you think, but it's a tremendously big point. Paul is writing to believers. He is is writing to the church family and the family in the church. And he's saying, children, you need to obey your parents. Because, and I'm adding what he says, but I believe I'm making a proper inference. Because they're going to lead you to salvation. They're going to teach you what you need to know in order to know Christ as your Lord and Savior. Follow what your parents say. Honor them. They're going to be the ones that lead you to the Lord. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Parents, don't give the privilege of of your child becoming a Christian to anybody. Don't give it to the pastor, although he likes it. Don't give it to the the, uh, associate because she likes it. Do it yourself. Lead your children to Christ. Make it the most important thing you can ever do. That's what Paul understood. He said, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And they're going to teach you what you need to do. They're going to be the example you need to see. You're going to be able to grow into the person that God has for you to be because you're going to be watching godly moms and godly dads. That's the plan. That's what, that's what he's saying. I want you to hear what I say. The number one problem facing mankind is sin. The number one problem facing mankind is sin. You probably ought to write that down. The number one problem facing mankind is sin. And in that reality... This plan that God has that he gives first to Moses and then Paul echoes it here as he's explaining to the early church how we're going to operate. He says, we're going to follow God's plan. And we're going to deal with the sin issue that would destroy our family, that would destroy our community, that would destroy our world. What's the challenge you and I face? Sin. Yesterday I had the privilege to hold brand spanking new Riley Michelle. Eight pounds, nine ounces, 21 inches long. Brand new life. Who will pour into her? What's our responsibility? To pour into the little ones. Did did, did you see them? Did did you see them? Gathered around Taylor's feet. Did you see them? Who's going to pour into them? In a world that sin has become okay. That sin has become not such a big deal. 
It's our call, you and I, to make sure we understand that God's way, his plan is for us to be all that we have to be. Sometimes I hear parents say, well, you know, I don't want to push my children to make that decision. And I know what, I know what they're saying. You know, let me tell you what they're saying, okay? They're saying, I don't want them to make the decision for the wrong reason, for it to be an insincere reason. That's what they're saying. And I understand that. And I say amen to that. But here's what I want you to hear me say. Parents, if you've got small children, I want you to listen with both ears. Push your children to Christ. Push your children to Christ. Just as surely as you'll take that shaky child and put them on a bicycle when the training wheels are off and say, it's going to be okay. You've got this. I'm right beside you. We may fall, but daddy's going to give you, mama's going to give you a slight little push right now. I'm going to help you get going in the right direction. Push your children to Christ. That's your job. That's why God entrusted them to you. Push them to Christ. And don't be ashamed. And don't be, we'll be here to make sure you get it right. We'll help you out. If there's a question, we'll, we've got an answer. God's word has an answer. We'll help you. But it's your responsibility, mom and dad. That's why God gave us the family. And he gave the church to support the family. And somehow we've got that backwards. And we've got to fix it. Oh, we push them to walk. We push them to let go. We push them to ride the bike, to jump into the water, to go to school for the first time, to handle the problems when somebody takes their toy or treats them disrespectfully, to be polite, to be kind. Push them to Christ. We teach them all the boundaries of life. We need to let them know the most important decision they'll ever make in their life is what they do with Jesus Christ. And mom and dad, you grab hold of that and you help them make it. I know it can be scary. I remember the first time in my life that I was standing outside of Rex Hospital and we'd walk down and Lunette had Melissa Diane McCullough, 8 pounds, 13 ounces, 21 inches long in her arm. And it had been fine. We'd been in the hospital. I'd been, they told me if I passed out during the birth, I had a pillow and a blanket, and it wasn't about me. The rest of it would be all right. They'd worry with me later. That's what they told me. I said, that's good. That's good. And I was fine. I was going back and forth to, to the house, going back to the hospital. But then that nurse said something, and it was just like somebody hit me with a baseball bat. She said, go get the car. Go get the car. And I remember walking to my 1978 Malibu Classic station wagon. And I got about halfway across the Rex parking lot and thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. That nurse ain't going home with us. We don't know anything about a baby. This is crazy. We can't. We can't do this. That may have been the first panic attack I ever had. It was right there. And I remember thinking, well, maybe just get in the car and go home. Leave her in the hospital. They'll take care of her. But I remember swallowing hard and 
pulling that car around, saying a prayer, putting my wife and my firstborn daughter in that car seat and taking her home. Yeah, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's scary. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes we don't know. But that's what we're called to do. I wonder, Mom and Dad, do you hear the Holy Spirit saying, it's time to go get the car. It's time to go get the car. It's time to do the right thing. It's time to go get the car. Well, in our time remaining, what does doing family God's way look like? Children, he says, obey. When we obey discipled parents, we're obeying God. I want you to hear that again. When we're obeying discipled parents, godly parents, Moms and dads who love the Lord. Will they be perfect? No, no, no. But when we do it, we're obeying God. If you're blessed with godly parents, young people, you'd be the wisest person in your class to listen to them rather than the teenager who has no life experience and no investment in your life. They're probably trying to figure it out for themselves and probably just using you as a guinea pig. I remember going home with a friend of mine named Ricky Ward. I was 11 years old. We lived in Chattanooga, Tennessee at that time. And, and either he would come to my house almost every Sunday because we had, we had Sunday morning church and Sunday night church. So we could go to somebody's house for the afternoon and get back where we needed to be. And this time it was my time to go to his house. So we went and after it was over, Ricky had told me to, to bring my cutoff shorts. I didn't really know why, but that was fine. I did. And so after we ate, we, we went out and he said, come on, we got, we got this great thing we're going to do. I said, cool, let's go do a great thing. 11 years old, here we go. And we went out to the river, which wasn't far from his house. And there was a cliff, oh, 15 feet high, maybe as high as the archway of our uh, window there. And down below was the river. And I said, what were you? He said, we're going to jump in the river. And I said, here we go, okay. 11 years old, I'm down. That, that sounds cool. And then he said these words. He says, now you need to jump out about eight feet. Don't jump 10 feet. Because what happened was the river had narrowed there the water was slow. And there was a rock ledge about that far under the water, the first five feet. And then you had about five foot of clear water, deep water. And then you had the other rock ledge that came out the other way. So the, Now listen, I had not had any Olympic diving training at age 11, I'm just telling you. I had never jumped off a 15 foot cliff in my life. And now I got to hit a spot, okay? He said, here, I'll show you. And he went first. And I went second. And we did that several times. I thought, what would have happened? How would my life look if I jumped too far? 
or had not jumped far enough. When we got back home, Ricky learned something about me. He said, we're going to stop by the house and we're going to wet our heads with water at the water hose. I said, okay. I mean, I'm 11 years old. I'm down with whatever you want to do. So we wet our heads. We walked inside. His mom looked at us and said, y'all been to the river? Ricky said, not lying. We just wet our heads with the water fountain at, at, the, at the hose pipe. She said, that's not what I asked you. Have you been to the river? And Ricky looked at his mama and he said, nope. Well, I was breathing hard at this point. I'm just telling you. And then she looked at me and said, Gary, did y'all go to the river? I said, yes, ma'am, we did. It didn't work out well for Ricky, I'm just telling you. And we continued to be friends. But what that reminded me of was Ricky had been told not to do that. You know why? Because his mom and dad loved him. And they knew it was dangerous. And there were a couple of times I got pretty close. Thought about it on the way down. I hope I'm far enough. Because when you're in the air, guys, there ain't nothing you can do. You're there. You're either right or you're wrong. Some of you today may feel like you're in the air. You may feel like, gosh, I've, I've made some bad choices. Children, obey your parents. Today can be a new day. Maybe, maybe last week you lived your life, you did some things. Maybe mom and dad have no idea you did them. But today you can make a decision. Because I want to give you one more story. When I moved to Lewiston Woodville when I was in the ninth grade in 1972, I remember it wasn't very long after we got there and I was developing friendship. It was a warm day. And the guys told me to meet on my bicycle. These guys that I'd met in church, Lewiston's a very small little village, 350 people total in Lewiston. Handful of guys my age, and these were your buds. These were the guys I was going to spend all through high school with. These were, these were, this was my world. This was like my deep river, okay? So we jumped on the bike and we took off to the test farm. It's, it's a research farm. There's one in Clayton. There's one in Lewiston, one in Clayton where the, the, government, uh, the state government does all kind of testing on crops and fertilizers and such. The, the, Mr. Baker and Tommy Perry were our scout masters who were members of our church who were the directors of the test farm. And the guy said, hey, come on, Gary. We're going to, we're going to the back of the test farm. I'm, I'm 14 years old now. I'm down. Let's go. So off we go on our bikes and we take all the way back. And on the back bank of one of the creek slash ditches on the test farm, one of the irrigation canals, somebody had found a bottle of Boone's Farm strawberry wine. Every one of us is 14, 13 years old. Jay Hoggard. Gary Perry, Aubrey Burkett, Alan Parker, and myself. Those names don't mean anything to you, but at age 14, they were my world. They were my world. They were my future. They were my joy. They would be my buds, or I would be the most, I would be like the Maytag repairman, the loneliest guy in Lewiston. 
They opened that bottle of wine and started to pass it around. You know the plan. I don't think I've ever felt pressure like that before. What to do? I remember saying, guys, I can't do that. And I got on my bike. And I started the lonely ride back to my house. And thinking as a 14-year-old would think, my life's over. It's done. There's no future. It's over. That's how you feel, don't you? When, when the pressure comes, if I don't make this decision, if I don't do what they're telling me to do, it's over. But it wasn't. They remained my buds. I'm sure they did things they no longer invited me to, and that was okay. But they stayed my friend. But I tell you that story to tell you this one. That fateful day in late November, early December, 1972, was the first time that group of boys ever tasted alcohol. And I would almost guess that that was the day that Alan Parker became an alcoholic. Some of you who are old enough remember March of 1984. We sometimes call it the Red Springs tornado. On March the 28th, 1984, a series of tornadoes tore through North Carolina. 54 people lost their lives. Six people lost their lives about a mile from where I was when those storms came through in Lewiston. But it's the reason I was in Lewiston. Because I had gotten a call from Evelyn Parker, Alan Parker's mom. This is 12 years from that test farm adventure. And with tears in her eyes, she called to tell me that Alan had been involved in a head-on accident with a semi-truck on a straight stretch of road in Highway 11 with a 17-year-old boy in the front seat of his car running 90 miles an hour, totally drunk. Obeying Cecil and Evelyn Parker taught their boy not to do that. But you got to obey. The Lord knows that obedience is important. I need to move on to parents for just a moment. Parents. I got to say this word to us, two words, because, hey, even if you've got grown children here today, you're still a parent. You've still got a responsibility. He says, don't provoke them to anger. Now, now, I've got to quickly say that the climate in which Paul wrote these words is nothing like the family climate in which you and I live. The culture was just altogether different. And I would say that the culture is altogether different in America now than it was when I probably first read this 50 years ago. But having said all that, he tells us, don't provoke your children to anger. Let me reinterpret that. Don't be too strict on them. You've got to trust them. You've got to give them some freedom. 
you've got to give them some, some ways. If you were very strictly raised, you might have a tendency to be very lenient now. But I do want to say this. Parents, it's not our job to be the BFF. Some of you, y'all you know, know what that means? The BFF? The best friend forever? That's probably no longer cool. It used to be cool a few, a few years ago. It's not your job. Your job is to raise your children up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. That's your job. That's why God blessed you with them. That's why God entrusted them to you. That's your job. Don't be too lenient. Don't be too strict. Don't be too strict. Don't provoke them to anger. But don't be too lenient. Bring them up in the discipline and the instruction. So let me ask you, finally, why does it all matter? Why does it matter what kind of parent I am? What, why does it matter what kind of child I am? If I live, I live. If I die, I die. Why does it matter? And that's the, that's the message this world's got. It doesn't matter. And I want you to know it does matter. It matters eternally. It matters forever. It's the most significant thing you can do. I would tell you that in a hundred years from now, if, if you could decide, would it be better for me to give my child a tremendous education, a great deal of property, and thousands of dollars, millions of dollars, or would it be better for me to raise my child up in the fear and the admonition and the discipline of the Lord? I promise you that in a hundred years from now, every one of us would say it would be better to bring them up in the Lord. That's our call. Why? Because sin is the greatest problem facing this world. Parents, hear me say this. Sin is the greatest problem facing your children. Sin is the greatest problem facing all of us. Salvation is God's ultimate plan. Everything is about salvation. God didn't tell us to love him with all our heart, mind, and soul so we'd be miserable. <laughs> he told us to love him with all our heart, mind, and soul so we would find our completeness and our joy and our peace and our understanding. That's why he calls us to do it. And what he wants us to do more than anything else. Parents, love the Lord. Show your children what a faithful parent looks like. Show your grown children what a faithful parent looks like. Show your grandchildren what a faithful, loving, discipled child of God looks like. And he says, train up a child in the way that he should go. And you know the rest of the verse, don't you? You know the rest of the verse, don't you? Train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Proverbs 22. That's what we're to pass on. 
Oh, I know you might find an exception to the rule, but the rule still holds. The rule's still good. The rule is still God's way. Today, family dynamics, I'll say it simply. You can do it God's way or some other way. Choose ye this day whom you'll serve. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. That's your confession. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray this message may have touched a heart, a life, a young person, a parent, a grandparent. Lord, when we're in the church, we all have parenting responsibilities, whether we have any children of our own or not. We're called to be this community of loving and caring and passing on the faith from one generation to the next. Help us not to grow weary in well-doing. You know the need of every heart of every life, every decision that should it be made for you today would change tomorrow. Our prayer is that we make it today. In Jesus' name. Our closing hymn is page 310. This morning, if you need our altar, God is here waiting for you. Would you respond as he leads, whether privately or publicly, as we stand together and sing?
There's a bunch of sign-up opportunities. If you don't go through the atrium normal, you might want to go through there. But if you can help us go to Burgall and help with those folks, I need you to sign up. I really need you to do it today. But, uh, or, or if you can't sign up today, maybe call me the first of the week and say, hey, I can go. That's the 20th and the 21st. Stephanie, when do we need to help Deep River? 18, 19, 20th. If uh, they need folks to help with the health fair, go do some paperwork as they're going to be screening the children. Uh, it's from like 8 to 2 something, 215. So, uh, Stephanie's got to sign up and we'll have that up too if you could help us with that. Um, there's the grief study. There's a lot going on. Just look at that board and be involved where God tells you to be involved. And we'll appreciate you doing that. Tomorrow night, 6.30 in the fellowship hall. Come chat with me, would you? And now as we leave this place, may we do so in God's peace and in his power and in his abiding presence that we might be his people in the midst of all his people. Pray with me. God, we go from here into a sin-stained world. And Heavenly Father, we have the cleanser. Your blood washes away every sin. Help us to go out in your name and in your power and in your grace and in your mercy. I pray for our families, Lord, because in this confusing culture, lines have gotten blurred. Help us, Lord, to see with your eyes and hear with your ears. For our prayer is in Jesus' name. Amen.